Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. About our identity in Christ, last week was our first uh, lesson. If you weren't here, there's a quick review that I'll give you this morning. But we're talking about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, not in ourselves. So we're talking about the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is the month of Christmas, and so we celebrate the incarnation. God himself became a man for specific reasons, and some of them are listed right here for you. Number one, he came to reveal to us the heart of the Father. If you recall what he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he revealed the Father to us. He came to destroy the works of the devil and defeat Satan himself. And he accomplished that purpose. If you recall, he also said this. I have glorified you on this earth. Now give me the glory that I had with you from the beginning. I did it by completing the work that you gave me to do. So he did that. He defeated the devil. He came to redeem us from our fallen state. He came to reconcile us to the Father. Which means to bring us at peace with God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we thank God for that. But our emphasis was on the fact that one of the major things he came to do was to conform us to his own image and likeness. When man fell in the very beginning, he lost the image and likeness of God. He took upon himself, really, a wrong spirit. And as a result, of course, he didn't walk in who he was in the beginning. Jesus came to restore that to us. And that's the emphasis that we placed on our message. Now, the very first thing Satan did when Jesus came up out of the water after being baptized was attack Jesus' identity. Why did he attack his identity? Remember the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan comes along, what does he say? If you be the son of God, then do this, then do this, then do this. He attacked his identity because he knew if he could get him not to walk in his identity, he would not walk in and out his destiny. That's what he knew. So he attacked his identity. But you know, Jesus didn't fall for it. He didn't have to turn stones into bread to determine his identity. Matter of fact, he made seven powerful statements. I am statements declaring that he knew his identity. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Seven I am statements that he made to prove that he understood who he was and he knew his identity. So we've been emphasizing the fact that that was him. But what about us? We can either walk as to who we are in ourselves or who we are in Christ. And so we have listed here for you some things that we talked about last week. I am a new creation. I am a masterpiece. A masterpiece, the word there actually means a work of outstanding quality, artistry, skill, and workmanship. That's who you are. We can walk as to who we are in ourselves or who we are in Christ. In Christ, say it with me, I'm a new creation. I am a masterpiece. I am significant. I'm God's temple. I am chosen. I am accepted. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am ordained. That means you're a priest. He made you a priest. I am reconciled to God. 
That means you have peace with God. You're in harmony with God. I am holy, unblameable, unreprovable, and condemnation free. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative of the highest order. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if you ever hear a minister say, I'm so unworthy, stop right there and say, he doesn't know his identity. You are not unworthy. That's not who you are in Christ. He made you worthy when he washed you in his blood. So you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not even a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. And now you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not trying to be that. That's who you are. Now, who penned those words? Paul the Apostle by the Holy Spirit. Who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus did, right? Let me ask you a question. Did Paul have two identities? Think before you answer. It's not a trick question. Wasn't he Saul of Tarsus first? Didn't he become Paul the Apostle second? Doesn't Saul mean destroyer? And doesn't Paul mean builder? So when he walked his, his identity as Saul of Tarsus, what was his destiny? Your destiny, remember, is the life you live on the earth. Your destination is where you end up or spend your eternity. So when he was on the earth as Saul of Tarsus, his destiny was to do what? Destroy. Well, first of all, let's start with this. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Considering the law, he said, I am blameless. I'm without blame. And he went on and about all the things about his own personal life. He was highly educated and so on. Okay. And he was committed in his destiny to wipe out Christianity, to destroy Christianity from the root, choke it out from the root. He was walking in a destiny that really wasn't his destiny. Because why? His identity was Saul of Tarsus. But one day on the Damascus road, he met Jesus Christ. And when he met Jesus Christ, Saul became Paul. And he said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he went from destroyer in his destiny to builder in his destiny because of his identity. That's who I am. I am his master. I'm a new creation. I'm his masterpiece. I am reconciled, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. I am. And he named all those things. So he understood that. As long as you and I walk in our personal identity, we're not going to fulfill our destiny. I was never a preacher for the first 24 years of my life. I was living a certain destiny during those years and thereafter. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I changed. My destiny changed. I was living for a different reason, not the one I was living for before. When your identity changes and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, your destiny changes. You get off the road, the wrong road, the wrong path for your destiny, and you get on the right path for your destiny. And you begin to live out a life that is pleasing to God, that honors him, that really fulfills a purpose that he has for your life, his will for your life. Can you see that? So look at, let's, we continue our study. Look in uh, the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. 
I am complete. Say it with me, I am complete. This is who you are. Now remember this. Someone might say, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a this. I'm a that. No, you're not. That's what you do. That's not who you are. It may be what you do. It's your profession, but it's not who you are. That's why I really get upset about this gender identity. Look in the mirror. New Living Translation. Let's read the verse, Colossians 2.10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Say it with me again. I am complete. Complete means I am whole. I am perfect. I have all the appropriate parts. When Jesus washed us in his blood, he made us complete, perfect, and whole. And within we have all the appropriate and necessary parts. When our son Andrew was born, he was without a left pulmonary artery. So we can say, we can say that he wasn't complete in that regard. Also a deletion of his 22nd chromosome. Another child could be born who is complete, whole, perfect in every way. All the parts are there. All the necessary parts are there. Thank God he got a miracle. My point is, when you got born again, there were no incomplete parts. When you got born again, there was no imperfection at all. When I got born again, we were all perfect in Christ, washed in that precious blood of Jesus. And we're complete, made whole, and perfect in him. And you are made worthy because he made you worthy by his blood. So that's who we are. We're complete in him. We have all the necessary parts. Now, it's also true that we have to grow, mature, and develop in our identity. Because if we don't, then we can still be overwhelmed and overcome by who we are in the flesh. But we're supposed to do what to the flesh? Crucify the flesh and let the man on the inside live, the spirit live. And how do we do that? By understanding our identity. That's who I am and that's what I'll do. Secondly, we're sealed. Everybody say, I'm sealed. Ephesians 1.13, let's read the verse. I am sealed in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed means branded as God's very own. Now, I grew up watching some of these cowboy movies on TV with my parents and you know, all that. They love gun smoke and all the old, you know, whatever. Bonanza. Some of you young people looking at that like, what's Bonanza? <laughs> Watch some of those movies. But you ever see them with their branding iron and they put it in a fire? Then they would, the, cat, the livestock would be there and whoosh, poor thing. <laughs> you talk about cruelty, animal cruelty. But why did they do that? Because if they ever escaped, if the livestock stock escaped and took off, they couldn't identify them. Who does this one? That's mine. No, it's mine. No, that's mine. No, it's, how do you know it's yours? It's branded. Look at the branding, and now you know who it is. You ready for this? The Holy Ghost got some fire and branded in your soul that you belong to God. That's who you are. I'm someone who belongs to God. He branded your spirit. He branded your soul with his own branding. I believe it says something like this. Praise God, paid in full. Belong to God. Washed in the blood. That's who we are. And when you recognize that, it makes a difference. Look at the next one. I am loved. I am someone who is loved by God. And if, in the, John's Gospel 16, verse 27, something here is important to see. For the Father himself loveth you. Notice the word loveth you. Why? Because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. 
Now, usually when you see that word love there in connection with God, you usually see the word agape. God so loved the world as agape, which is divine love. It's a love based on principle and decision, not on feeling and emotion, and it's unconditional. So God so loved us, he sent us Jesus is agape. That word loveth is not agape. That word there, it says, for the Father himself loves you, is phileo. We get Philadelphia from it. And that's the city of what? Brotherly love. So you know what this means? It means because you chose to love Jesus, the Father has befriended you. The Father is connected to you. The Father wants to walk with you and fellowship with you and have a relationship with you. So the Father himself loves you. He's your friend. Thank God. Jesus says, I now call you friends. We know it's a blood covenant partner relationship. But he's saying this, because you've set your love upon me, my Father wants to walk with you through life. That's pretty good. It denotes affection and personal attachment. Look at the next one. I am more than a conqueror. Romans 8.37, let's look at it together. Nay, in all these things that he mentioned in that verse, in those verses, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Say it with me, I am more than a conqueror. Now, a conqueror is someone who wins the battle, who wins the fight, and emerges victorious, right? But more than a conqueror is someone who gets the paycheck and didn't have to fight the fight. In the days of Jehoshaphat, if you recall, they didn't have to fight the fight. All they had to do was send out the praisers. And the praisers went out and they began to sing praises unto God. And what happened? God fought the battle for them. I want us to know this. Jesus fought the battle for us. He defeated the enemy for us. You and I are more than conquerors because we didn't have to do what Jesus did in order to achieve success. He did it for us. So we are more than conquerors no matter what comes our way. Life, death, principalities, powers, this, that, the other thing. He went on to say, I am more than a conqueror. We are more than conquerors. That's who you are. So say it again. I am more than a conqueror. Next one. Great one. Something I think we probably can't wrap our brain around. But I'm an heir. You are an heir. An heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Look at Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. But notice, you're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. So say it with me. I'm an heir. An heir of God. A joint heir with Jesus. That's who we are. That's our identity. But notice this also in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. We are the heirs of promise. We're in God willing more abundantly to show into the heirs of promise. That's us. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Why does he call us the heirs of promise? If you recall Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Right? For it is written, curse everything that hangs on a tree. Why? That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. Every promise that God ever made to Abraham, you're an heir to that promise. We sing, used to sing a song called, Abraham's blessings are mine. We are blessed with faithful Abraham. So all the promises that God made to Abraham belong to the believer. So in Christ, we're heirs of God and join us with Jesus. And what does that mean? We are legally allowed to tap into either the resources, all that God has, 
his power, his authority, and has he not given us power in his name over all the power of the enemy? Hasn't he given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Hasn't he given us his kingdom? He said, it's my good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. He gave us the right to use his name. You know, you call yourself a Christian, which means you are Christ-like. So we've inherited all things that pertain to life and godliness. We belong to him. He belongs to us. All right, next one, valuable, valuable. Say it with me, I am valuable. Okay, look in the Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Here we have Jesus speaking about our value and about our worth. Well, what is our value? What is our worth? Are, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And, not, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. What's my value? What's your value? Well, he said it's more than many sparrows. But really, I've been told that something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Anybody here would like to have a Honus Wagner baseball card from the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates? Would you like to have one? Anybody here like to have one? Some of the ladies look at me like, who in the world is Honus Wagner? I'll tell you in a moment and then you'll find out. Now, a trading card. You know, when you're growing up, you've got these trading cards. And, and I know parents put them in boxes and put them over here and there and everywhere else. Yeah, right. And then, oh my goodness, they want another trading card. Went through all that. Some of those trading cards are worth $100,000. $200,000. Some are worth three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars 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 $500,000. One trading card. But not Honus Wagner. His is worth 2.8 to 3.2 million. Anybody now want a Honus Wagner trading card? Would you be willing to give it up for three point? Now, would you pay 3.2 million for a Honus Wagner? But if someone gave it to you, would you take it and sell it? Shame on you. <laughs> you know many times people do things like that? I found this penny and what's it worth? I don't know. No. It's worth $100,000. Okay, so what's our value? What's our worth of greater value than many sparrows? Listen, you've not been redeemed with silver. We've not been redeemed with gold. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means, the whole world with all of its wealth is not capable of purchasing our redemption your value my value our worth is not found in anything this world has to offer it is found in the blood that flowed through jesus's veins and by one man and one pool of blood we all became human beings as we are in adam but by one man the other man jesus the second man the last adam his blood praise god we all become sons and daughters of the most high god so thank god he saw our value he saw our worth say it with me i am valuable to God. Amen. Our worth. That's who you are. And then look at the next one. There's so many more, but we'll just go to here. I'm a child of God. John, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what the manner of man, matter of love, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not, beloved. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know 
that when we shall, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him, where's that hope? In him, what's he do? Purifies himself even as he is pure. But notice he said, now are we the sons of God. Not some future time in the distant future. Now are we the sons of God. This is our identity. It's hard for us to understand a lot of this. Because it takes faith to really believe it and understand it. But if you go back to the very beginning, I don't believe that Adam had the same relationship that we have as new creations now. I believe he could have had that had he been obedient and then was lifted up even higher to become a son of God. He was perfect in every way, spirit, soul, and body. God's creation and God's man on the earth had full authority on the earth to reign as a king under an under ruler under God himself. But he forfeited all that when he sinned and rebelled against God and we lost the image of God. We lost the knowledge of God. We lost a relationship with God. But Jesus came to restore that, to reconcile all things to himself. And we, praise God, as he reconciled, we're reconciled to God. And now when you're born again, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one translation says this, you're a new creation or a new species that never before existed. And it's hard for us, once again, to wrap our brains around it, but we are a new species that never before existed because we're not in Adam we're in whom? Christ. And in Christ, what are we? All these things that we just said. A masterpiece, a new creation, a new species that never before existed. We don't even know who we are. We can either walk as who we are in Saul or Paul. And I guarantee all of us, if we'll walk in who we are as a Saul, which means I'm bent on my own ways, I'm bent on serving the way I want to serve, doing what I want to do, living the way I want to live, acting the way I want to act, talking the way I want to talk. If we do that, we will not fulfill our destiny. It's not until we understand our identity in Christ that we fulfill our destiny that he has for us like Jesus did. Which is why he said who he was. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world and so on. We need to understand who we are. Because when you understand your identity... You'll look at your life and say, this is what I have to do. That's what I have to do because this is who I am. This is who I am. Now, as we continue our study, let's take a quick peek as to who we were. Because then we can appreciate who we are. Look here. Number one, we were living dead men. Look at this verse, 1 Timothy 5, 6. Speaking of, of widows, he was talking about widows. That were just busybodies and just doing the thing that they wanted to do and not really serving Christ. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Dead while she liveth. We were dead. Ephesians 2 1 says we were dead in sin. All of us. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to really confess that one. I was dead, but we were dead. Look at number two. We were dead. But also we were hopeless and godless, without hope and without God in the world. Look at the verse in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, once again, verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Can you imagine living in a world where you're hopeless and godless? Look, we're eternal spirit beings. And we're living in the land of the dying. When we die, we go to the land of the living and we're going to be there for eternity. Where we spend that eternal living is dependent upon our faith, what we believe. 
And it's important we believe the right thing. We were dead. We were dead and we were hopeless and godless. Look at the next one. We were children of wrath. The offspring of wrath. From the fall of man in Adam, we were the offspring of wrath. Let's read the verse. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Among whom we all also we all had our conversation. Our lifestyle in times past. In the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature. What were we? The children of wrath. Even as others. Everybody in Adam was a child of wrath. Everyone. No exceptions whatsoever. Except Jesus when he came because he didn't come with the Adamic blood or sin nature. He was born, you know, of the Holy Spirit. So we were all dead, hopeless, godless. And now we were children of wrath. And then look at this last one in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. This is who we were. Let's not confuse who with who we were with who we are in Christ. This is who we were in Adam. This is who we are in Christ. And then we'll take a quick look as to what it took for us to get to where we are in Christ. But first, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of the heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Notice he said they were alienated from the life of God. What's it mean to be alienated? There was no connection there. Actually, we were hooked up with the wrong spirit, an enemy spirit. So we were dead men walking, hopeless, godless, in a situation where we were children of wrath and alienated from the life of God. That's who we all were. Well, guess what we're celebrating this time of the year? The remedy to that. You and I were lost in who we are or were in Adam. And who we were in Adam was our identity, just like Saul was his identity. Until he saw Jesus. And then when you and I met Jesus, our identity changed so that our destiny can change. So that we can fulfill a destiny that God's ordained for us. Not that we've ordained for ourselves. Why? Because we all have a destination. Where we spend our eternity. So what did it take for us to get to where we were. To where we are now. I mean we all want to shout. As far as who we are right now. Don't we? Aren't you glad you're a new creation? Aren't you glad you're more than a conqueror? Aren't you glad that you're a masterpiece? A work of outstanding artistry. I like that one, don't you? Next, tomorrow morning you get up, look in the mirror and just say, you're a work of outstanding artistry. Well, you know the story of, I I shared last week, maybe if you weren't here with us, I'll share it again. Michelangelo, the sculptor, became very famous because of the statue of David, right? But that same piece of marble was sitting in ruins, it was a ruined piece of mar- marble. It was discarded. It was in a scrapyard for marble, if you could put it that way. And other sculptors looked at it and said, that thing's not worth anything. But then Michelangelo saw it out there in the scrapyard. And when he saw it, he said, oh, I want that. And he took it and he sculpted the statue of David. You talk about history. 
Look what it is today. Someone asked him, what did you see in that ruined piece and discarded piece of marble? He said, I, I just took everything away that wasn't David. Well, you know what? When God saw us discarded and ruined, he sent his son to look at us and just say, let's just get everything away from you that doesn't belong to me. And he took you and recreated you and gave you a brand new heart and a brand new life. And now you're a masterpiece. Think about it. Someone should charge admission to come and see you. Put in your front door. Instead of welcome here, just put $5 entrance fee to see the man. A masterpiece. Okay. That's who you are. Let me say something before I move on to this too. Your history doesn't determine your destiny. Even as we become Christians, our history doesn't determine our destiny. You know why? There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our all unrighteousness. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you glad he sculpted us that way? Thank God for that. All right, so what did it take for God to do what he did? Number one, look, Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 4. We were dead. We were children of wrath. But, aren't you glad for that but? But, wow. But what? But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Say it with me. God loved me. See, God loved us in Christ so much. He didn't want to leave us in that scrapyard, that marble scrapyard there on the heap and just leave us there. He loved us. He so loved the world. He loved us. Rich in mercy and loved every single one of us. Number two, look at verse five. We were dead, but look what happened. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with whom? Christ. With Christ. Quickened means made me alive. Say it with me. He loved me, he loved me. and made me alive. When did he make you alive? In Christ? With Christ? You know what that means? When he raised up Christ from the dead, he raised you up too. Do you know that every sinner on the planet who will spend eternity in the lake of fire doesn't have to? And they've already been provided for. The blood of Jesus Christ has already cleansed them from all unrighteousness if they'll just accept it. If they will. But we've been made alive. Everybody's been made alive in Christ. Number three, look at the latter part of the verse. By grace are you what? saved he saved us from the wrath that is to come he loved us he made us alive in christ he saved us and then look at the next one he raised us up and here is where it gets to be difficult to wrap the brain around once again he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus but notice first he raised us up first when he was raised up, he raised us up with him. In the mind of God, we were all raised with him. But then he made us sit together with him. You realize that we're all seated together right now with Christ in heavenly places? That's our position of operation. We may be living on planet earth, but he raised us up and he seated us with him. And so in him as an Aragon and a joiner with Jesus, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So therefore we are reigning with him on the earth and he's reigning through us. By grace and righteousness, 
we're reigning as kings in the realm of life by one Christ Jesus. But this is what he had to do. Okay, look at the next. He blessed us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. He has blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in him, say with me, I am blessed. I'm only, not only loved, made alive, saved, raised up. I am seated with him. I am blessed with him. With every spiritual blessing. Look at the next one. And I've been given all things. Look at 2 Peter. In chapter uh, 1, verse 3. According to the divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and to virtue. So in Christ, we've been given everything, all things. We're complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him, we live and move and have our being. And the church has been negligent, negligent to teach these principles to the people, which is why you still hear people praying like, I'm so unworthy to come before your throne. I'm so unworthy to ask you to do anything for me. No, you are not. The righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. That's called jogging. And the righteous are bold as a lion. Right? The righteous. We, so you're the righteousness of God in Christ. So that's who we are. Now, let's conclude with this. So you all thought this was all pretty good so far. Now it's like crunch time. Put on your still-told shoes. Me too. It's for every single one of us. No exceptions whatsoever. What does he expect of us now that we are who we are in him? Did Paul continue doing what he was doing as Saul? No. He changed his destiny. God changed his destiny. Everything changed about him. The law was no longer what the law was to him before. Judaism was no longer to him what it was before. He's now prom promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. But number one... God expects us to do something with our physical body and soul. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he expects this from us. Now that we have been enlightened, now that we know who we are, now that we know what we have, look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual duty. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect. See, it's a progression. This is good. This is acceptable. This is perfect. We grow. It's development. It's developmental. It takes time for us to grow as Christians and to rise up to the place where we can have on the outside manifested what's on the inside. The work that he has done for us is on the inside. That's where perfection lies. But it has to get to the outside. And we're challenged along the way. Why? Because we have an enemy trying to stop it from happening. Number two, we're to put on the new man. I'm going to Ephesians once again, uh, chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation. Put off your Saul, man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now notice, and that you put on the new man, Paul, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we take off who we were and put on who we are. So two different lifestyles. We learn to live a new lifestyle. And how do we learn that? If you read on some verses after that, it tells you some things that you and I ought to do. Look at the next one. We give the devil no entry points in our lives. Look at verse 27. Give no territory. The word place there 
neither give place to the devil. It's the Greek word topos, and it means territory, ground, or entry points. Give the enemy no entry points. Close the door. Well, what's the entry point? The eye gate and the ear gate is to get to what? The brain, the soul. The soul is part of man. His mind, will, emotions, and intellect. What does he want to do? He wants to dominate the way we think. David said, I've got to be weaned from my emotions. If I allow my emotions to control my life, then the enemy will wreak havoc with my life. He'll take me down a path I don't want to go. But if I wean myself from my feelings and emotions and allow myself to be controlled by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, then I'll be on the right path for my life. So he's talking about give him no entry points to enter in to suggest his thoughts. How did it begin? In the garden with Eve, he spoke there. And what did Paul say in Second Corinthians chapter 11? He, he was really concerned at the fact that they would be deceived just as Eve was deceived from the very beginning by the corruptness of their mind. And so it's important to understand that between our ears is really where the battle field is. And so it's important for us to think right. So give no entry points to the devil. Cast down thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Walk in love, number four. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Walk in love. Be therefore followers of God as their children and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and has given himself for us an offering and offering a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savor. So what does he expect of us? He expects us to walk in love. I look at the next one. Uh, number five, walk as children of light. Now that we're in the light and we're no longer in the darkness, let the light dictate and control our lives, not the darkness. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And in these verses in between that I'm not reading, you could read them for yourself, he's Tells us some things to put off and some things to put on. So that we can manifest the light and not the darkness. Look at number uh, six. Reprove. Reprove. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So reprove the works of darkness is what we're to do. Number seven. Maintain a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.18. Maintain a spirit-filled life. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled. In the Greek, it's be being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when we're filled with and full of the Spirit, we give no occasion to the flesh to control and dictate our lives. Which is why he wants us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Next, submit one to another in the fear of God. Fear means out of reverence for God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear or out of reverence of God or for God. So we practice submission and authority in our lives. And as we do that, we're honoring the Lord. And he starts talking about how we submit to him first and foremost. And then it trickles down from there throughout our lives in our relationships. Then practice obedience. When he talks about Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's not just for children to obey. Right? It's for all of us to obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So we're all to obey, be obedient to do what God has called us to do and tells us to do. Obey his laws, statutes, and judgments, and so on. Keep his commandments. And the love commandment being the number one. But then also, look at chapter 6 and verse 10. This is the bottom line. It says, be strong in your own flesh. Be strong in your own abilities. Be strong in your own mind. Be strong with your finances. Finally, my brethren, be strong, how? In the Lord and the power of his might. Is there anything stronger than his might? Anything greater than the Lord? More powerful than the Lord? 
Well, if that being true, then it's obvious that we all have some work to do in all of our lives. And that is to give place to the life and power and ability of God that's on the inside of us. See, this whole thing about being a Christian is getting on the inside to the outside, to the renewed mind. And that's our challenge. It would be great if we didn't have an enemy out there trying to distract us. When Peter was walking on the water, he was doing great as he was walking in the word. But then when he saw the wind boisterous and he saw the waves of the sea and all that happening, he was distracted. And as a result of the distractions, what took place? He began to sink. So it's for all of us, every one of us, myself included, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? So that we can fulfill our destiny carry out our life purpose, and echo the words of Jesus when we leave this realm. I have glorified thee on the earth. I've completed the work that you gave me to do. Therefore, give me the rewards of my labors. Can you say amen? All right, let's all stand together before the Lord.